Hello and welcome to Crux Investor. In a minute, we're going to be speaking with John Black, who's the CEO of Regulus Resources. They're a copper gold project in Peru. We're just going to ask John about recent developments and try and understand a little bit more about some of the detail of the project. How are you, John? I'm doing well, thank you. Fantastic. Lo lovely to have you uh, on the show. Uh, first time for our viewers. Wondered if you could just start, just give us a quick sort of two-minute elevator pitch, as it were, to help people understand a little bit about the background of the project, please. Okay, yeah, Regulus has the Antiquary project, and we're a group of experienced exploration geologists. Uh, we specialize in identifying projects like Antiquary that have potential to become very large copper or copper gold deposits. And in 2012, at a market bottom, we were fortunate to be cashed up. We identified the project and we acquired it by merging with a company called Southern Legacy. In the last two years, we completed our first major drill program. And recently in March, they announced a, a very exciting new resource that we consider to be an interim resource. As we continue to drill this year, we anticipate it will continue to grow. And, and just sort of quickly run us through the uh, financing uh, component here as well. You, obviously, you're sitting on a lot of cash, which is great for an explorer. Um, but maybe talk us through some of the, the shareholders and the way that that's been structured. Okay, as a junior explorer, uh, we depend a lot on a loyal shareholder base. We Regulus is a company that was uh, spun out from our predecessor company called Antares Minerals. We made a nice discovery and sold that project to First Quantum in 2011. And uh, the group of shareholders that did well from that, fortunately, are supporting us to continue as we move forward. There's not a lot of retail um, out there, is there, at the moment? There isn't. Uh, we have actually, most of our shareholders are fairly aligned with those of us as management in, in looking towards an end game. We're, we're making a discovery. We'd like to drill it out and then monetize it. We have one large shareholder called Route One. It's a fund based out of San Francisco. They own about 24%. And as management, we own a little over 14%. So um, the, the shareholding is quite tight. It's difficult to get a position, um, but most of our shareholders are aligned in the end game, the, the discovery, the revealing the full value of the project and then monetizing it. Okay, so maybe let's, let's, let's come on to that in a second because I'd, I'd like to understand a bit more about the team and you know, the, the relevant experience. And obviously with Antares, you, you had a huge success story and I can see why some of the institutions would continue to back you. So tell us a bit about Peru. Not, you know, it's, it was seen quite hot, a lot of people talking about it in PDAC as a, a good destination for mining. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, Peru is, is um, we specialize in exploring in South America. Myself and Kevin, Kevin Heather, who's our chief geologic officer of the two um, drivers behind the company, really. We've had many decades of experience in South America. And one of the reasons we really like Peru is that it's a nice balance between being already established as a mining country, yet still having good potential for additional discoveries. And that, that mix that you can explore in most countries in South America with potential for success, but we, we always seem to gravitate back towards Peru as, as being that place where you can find it, and if you find it, you can turn it into a mine. Yeah, and, and you're also surrounded by some of, you know, some quite large and interesting companies as well. So you seem to be in the right postcode, I think is what I'm drawing. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Right, so now you had a, you had a resource come out recently. So why don't you tell us about that? You, you say you want to follow up quite quickly with a second resource. So what sort of scale of project are we talking about here? 
Okay. Um, when we acquired the project, it already had some previous drilling. It was enough to show an inferred resource of about 300 million tons at about a 0.8% copper equivalent, um, having both copper, gold, and actually a little bit of silver as well. Um, we completed about 23,000 meters of drilling in our phase one program in 2017 up to the end of 2018. With that, we almost doubled or more than doubled the existing drill resource base, the drill database, and it was time for us to do an updated resource. The, uh, the resource that we recently announced, it was March 1st, right before PDAC, it contains 250 million tons at 0.48% copper, 0.29 grams per ton gold, and about seven and a half grams of silver, as well as 267 million tons of inferred resource at 0.41 copper, 0.26 gold, and also about seven and a half grams of silver. So combined over 500 million tons, a nice increase from what we started at, and also about half the deposit moving to the indicated category now. And then we want to emphasize that this is an interim resource. As we continue to grow, we anticipate the, as we continue to drill, we anticipate the project will increase substantially. So what does that do to things like, um, well, we know what your market cap is, but what's it, what's it do for your NAV? numbers or you know if you any sort of sense of the economics of it because those are quite you know low cutoff points so I, I, I guess is that some indication of the the style of project that this potentially could be well one way to take a look at these type deposits we're a little bit early we're still in the resource definition stage and we don't really know how much of the deposit we've identified yet it, we anticipate it'll be substantially larger than it is so mm -hmm. it's a bit early to be putting nav or or say preliminary economic evaluation around the project. Mm. But one thing we can do is we can compare the deposit to um, previous sales of similar type deposits on this. And what we've seen over the, the last couple decades is that projects that are at the PEA or pre-feasibility stage, they're demonstrated to be large and economically viable copper deposits, typically are acquired by major mining companies for about four cents US per pound of copper or copper equivalent in the ground. If we take a look at Regulus currently with our new resource, we're valued at less than a penny and a half uh, cents per pound in the ground of copper. You, you've been very clear that you are explorers. You're there to not, not get into the build phase or start producing. You, you, your model is to sell out to you know, a, a mid-cap mid or, or large uh, producer. Is that right? Yes, that's right. But having said that, um, what we, we do in order to develop, to define, acquire and define and, and show the size of, of a project that might be of interest to a major mining company, mm -hmm. it's very important that we have our eye towards economics and that we do absolutely everything just like we will build the mine. Uh, even though we clearly state that we prefer to be on that steep value add part of the, the curve between discovery and pre-feasibility, and that our skill set is not the skill set required to take that to become a mine in the future. Um, we do everything exactly like we'll build it ourselves. That's the that's the best way to to demonstrate uh, the the economic viability of a project and, and attract a buyer. And, and also ensure there's no discount applied by the buyer. Absolutely, it's 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 interesting. What we've learned over the years is that when you when you're on a project like this, a lot of us think it's it's kind of simply drill it out and move it up through the stages of evaluation of PEA to a pre-fees to a feasibility. Mm -hmm. But what we like to do is we like to identify the potential weaknesses in the project and really emphasize on those and uh, demonstrate um, what can be done about those, how to move forward. So in a project like Antiquary, 
um, we don't worry about grade. We have plenty of grade, but we, we're focusing more on characterizing the styles of mineralization. It's a fairly complex deposit and working on um, identifying potential deleterious elements and, and showing uh, how we can tackle those as we move forward. So you, you, you must be quite confident about where the copper market is going in terms of the, the, the future of copper as part of the battery minerals. I mean, because you, you, don't, you know, don't necessarily have the skills today in-house to build this out or get into production. But, you, you know, again, you're being very frank about that. But if the market didn't go the way you wanted, was that, I mean, would you make those changes? Um, you, you play your hand out as, as it goes forward. Uh, we, if we uh, show that the size of this project is, is an economically viable project, but the market's not in the right moment for potential buyers to be looking for these type projects, we have a choice of hunkering down and waiting till the market approves or moving it forward ourselves by retooling the company. Um, what, we, what we attempt to do is, is to identify those projects that almost independent of metal price will be of interest to major companies. However, the major companies tend to buy these type projects when the, when the market's hot. They buy at the top of the market is, is generally the case. That's when they're cashed up and that's when they're encouraged to look for new projects. Right, right. Okay. And, you, you know, you, you, you alluded there to the fact that you, you made people aware or you tried to understand and then make people aware of what the problems were and, and how to overcome those. You're, again, quite frank in your PowerPoint. You talk about three issues that you've had to deal with. One being the um, land ownership position, but I think you resolved that with the JV with um, Southern Legacy of Peru. Is that right? Yeah, really. Um, there were there were three potential challenges on this project when when we first started looking at it. Um, the group that had it was called Southern Legacy Peru, and they were working on those challenges. The first was a, a rather complex uh, land situation, mm -hmm. and Southern Legacy had done an excellent job to. Um, consolidate the district and clean up the title issues. And so that, that issue is largely out of the way and particularly with our, our joint ventures with the neighbors on this. Uh, the second issue was a historic rejection from uh, some of the communities for previous exploration activity. And when we took a close look at the situations that had happened there, we realized that the, the previous operators on the project had uh, been working in a way that wasn't very transparent and wasn't uh, with full social license. It's important to point out the two communities that we're now working well with have allowed the construction of two mines since those incidents happened. So they're not anti-mining whatsoever at all. They're just uh, demand to be treated fairly. And, that, and that's our motto and how we, we like to work as, as we move forward. So we're finding it quite easy to work with the communities in the area. Right. And then you, I mean, you do talk about the, I mean, this is a slightly technical one, but I think it's worth getting into here because there's some sort of confusion out there as to how you're going to tackle it. And that's with regards to the arsenic content in the ore body. I mean, I think there's a number of you saying 54% of the ore body is within tolerance and the rest not so much. So how, how do you tackle something like that? The first thing that it's important to understand that the antiquary deposit actually consists of two distinct alteration and mineralization styles. Mm -hmm. There's an, an earlier SCARN and porphyry related mineralization that is relatively low arsenic and metallurgically uh, similar to, to many operating mines and capable of producing a, a nice clean concentrate. Yep. And then somewhat later and partially overlying the deposit is a high sulfidation epithermal system that has copper gold sulfides as well, but those copper gold sulfides are, are associated with higher levels of arsenic. So uh, approximately 40% of the project right now has high arsenic and approximately 60% of the project has, has moderate to low arsenic. What happens is that if we have high levels of arsenic in our ore, when, and that arsenic 
is associated with a mineral that also has the copper. When we make a copper concentrate, we capture the arsenic. And arsenic levels um, are, make it more difficult to market your concentrate. Uh, the concentrate buyers have tolerances. Um, sometimes they charge penalties up to a certain level, or if you get at very high levels, they can even, uh, it can be a, a concentrate that's not attractive for, for people to buy. And so it requires extra treatment, either at the smelter where you sell it to, or there are a variety of emerging technologies that we can apply to treat the material before we sell it to a smelter as well. Right, that, that's interesting. When you say emerging technology, th these are w well grounded, well used, or are they emerging? They're, they're actually, it's a mix on this. We have conventional roasting, which has been around for a, for a long time and is, is one way to treat um, concentrates that have deleterious elements like arsenic. Uh, it has been modernized in many ways. Uh, there's currently a large uh, roaster in process at the General Halley's mine that's owned by Cadelco in central, central Chile to process this, these higher arsenic concentrates. But there are also, what's, what's a little bit more emerging is the pressure, pressure oxidation techniques. And many companies are trying to tackle this. Uh, worldwide, arsenic contents are increasing in copper cons. And people are looking at a technology that can be applied um, by pressure oxidation. It's essentially an autoclave that allows you to oxidize your material and sequester the arsenic into a stable, safe form. And it, it actually has some benefits that you improve your copper and your gold recoveries at the same time. And I think you know, some people were asking the question is, could you blend it? Blending is also a, a, a common technique that's used right now, either blending between materials that you have on your own site or selling your concentrate to a group that has a lot of clean concentrate that can blend. Uh, so they're, they're specialist third parties that blend concentrates for you prior to sending them to smelters. Mm -hmm. uh, but quite frankly, on the, on the project we have right now, we'd like to develop methods that that higher arsenic material is economically viable. So we anticipate that we'll be doing quite a bit of metallurgical testing in this next year mm -hmm. and exploring the different avenues. The pressure oxidation technique that I mentioned is highly promising. The challenge really is overcoming the capital costs and the operating costs. But that's where the higher grades that we have at Antiquary come to play and we anticipate we'll be able to, to support those higher costs associated with the higher grades. So I guess your preferred solution is go and discover additional ores which are clean and focus on those initially in terms of your optimization of the project. That's really our strategy right now is, is uh, we, we naturally want to find all of the mineralization that's on our properties or properties that we have access to. We anticipate as we move to the north, we'll be finding additional mineralization and that mineralization will be cleaner. So uh, depending on what we find, the, in, the entire center of gravity of the opportunity might move towards that cleaner mineralization and, and put the arsenic bearing material that's a little bit more metallurgically challenging farther down the road. Right, and, and, and so there's one question from some of the chat rooms, which no one had an answer to. So what's happening with Hole 30? Uh, hole 30 we just announced a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's a very interesting hole. It's a 500 meter step out. It's one of our first holes that moves to the north or northwest from the main area of our drilling. Mm -hmm. We had an opportunity that there was a, a previously existing pad that we could set up on. So the pad itself wasn't ideally located, but it was a nice step out into a new area. And we encountered um, both high sulfidation mineralization in the overlying volcanics, as well as more porphyry style or porphyry scarn style mineralization at depth. The grades um, we're a little bit lower than I think some people anticipate that we'd have. They're approximately 0.25 copper and about 0.15 to 0.2 gold. Mm -hmm. But over very long runs, we find it highly encouraging. 
it's um, between 0.3 and 0.5 or uh, copper equivalent and it's a 500 meter step out and it's it's actually between several promising geophysical anomalies so we consider it a proof of concept that we're moving in the right direction mm. and probably the most important point on whole 30 is the the intercepts in the scarn and porphyry style mineralization are very very low arsenic so it's it's confirming the idea that there's additional min low arsenic mineralization towards the north okay well thanks for getting into the technicalities of that can i now sort of come back to the resource so if i i'm looking up so page 17 of the recent pdac powerpoint i believe this most recent one um you know, you're, you, sh you show the indicated and inf inferred numbers on there. I mean, you do use quite high numbers for the, the, the copper and the gold in relation to the spot price today. Are you getting sort of some sense of the economics? Of, I know you say it's too early for a PEA and it's, it's too early to sort of to, you know, say what precisely you've got here today. But what, what is the process that you're going through to make this attractive to, you know, mid caps or majors? Um, on, on these, it's a little bit of, of com, um, taking a look at volume versus grade on this and what are appropriate cutoffs for the material. So we use a 0.3 copper equivalent cutoff mm. as, as our reporting line grade. But we'll notice in many of our presentations, we show the, the, the size of the deposit at different grade cutoffs. Mm. And some of the things that we're very encouraged about on, on this initial resource for us, uh, it's our first resource that we've put out on the deposit, is when we see that we have a, a cutoff grade and the reported grade is more than double what the cutoff grade is, that's a, that's a very good indicator that the project is quite robust. So in our case, we're using a 0.3 cutoff grade in the indicated category that results in a 0.48 copper uh, grade, a 0.29 grams per ton gold grade, and about seven and a half grams of silver. So that's approximately a 0.7 copper equivalent. So applying a 0.3 cutoff grade results in a 0.7 resource reported on that. Um, that. That's a good indicator that your resource has substantial zones of relatively high grade. And the reason that we use the metal prices that we used on uh, for this stage is that's used to drive the pit. And so that, that's not necessarily the, the, the uh, metal values that we'll use when we do a preliminary economic. It's, it's common to see two, two sets of numbers on that. One is to drive the pit. And then once you have a pit, uh, when we get to a PEA stage, we will most likely use values that are closer to current prices or even lower than those. What permits do you have now and what permits will you need as you sort of move forward? We have a portion of a project that extends on to neighbors' ground. And those neighbors are a joint venture that operates the Tantuatai Mine. So the Tantuatai Mine is immediately next door. It's operated by a joint venture company called Komalaichi. And Komalaichi is a joint venture between Buenaventura and Southern Copper, which is Grupo Mexico's Peruvian sub as well as a small third party group in there. And they're, oper they're mining the oxide cap over a very extensive copper gold sulfide deposit that is the same deposit that we're defining on our ground. So the neighbors have, have reported over 450 million tons of indicated resource at about 0.7 copper and 0.2 gold, and also a little over 480 million tons of inferred resource. So over 900 million tons of combined resource at relatively high grade, immediately adjacent to the mineralization that we've just announced. So the combined deposit is, is significantly larger than, than what we've shown on our ground alone. Right, okay. So that, that whole area is, 
heavily in, in, industrialized in, in a sense. There's going to be no issues around the sort of permitting component going forward. That's one of the things we like about this uh, is is we're in a, we're in essentially a brownfield situation right. where we have an operating mine immediately next door. They're mining the oxide cap over a large copper gold sulfide deposit. They have about five years, six years of mine life left, and they they then have the opportunity to make the transition into the the underlying copper gold sulfide mineralization. We have a portion of that deposit, so it it really sets a nice timeline on the project to move forward. And what we've done is we've established agreements with the mine. They're best described as collaborative exploration agreements. If, if we each knew what we had, we'd probably be entering into a joint venture or some sort of a sales negotiation right now. But quite frankly, we each think we have the better part of the deposit. And better could be larger, higher grade, cleaner in our case, yeah. or closer to the surface. So we, until we each drill out our, our mineralization, we, we don't, aren't really in a position to enter into negotiations. But the nice thing is, is that because that oxide mine is progressing and running out of ore in the not too distant future, we're highly motivated to move the project along quickly. Okay, so I, I just needed to go down that line of questioning. There was some discussion, again, chat rooms and forums around uh, block caving as a potential option for you if permitting was an issue. So I think you've knocked that on the head. Well, really, the, it's, it's logical to make an expansion of the existing pit. And the mineralization we have, um, when we floated the pit, um, much of it reported quite easily to the pit on there. So it's, it's, fairly, it's a good indicator. It's quite robust, and it's, it's very much um, in a geometry and an occurrence that's natural to exploit as an open pit on that. Uh, it's interesting to note that the pit that we floated had a strip ratio of less than one to one. It was 0.85 strip ratio. So it's it's indicating that there's large volumes of mineralization close to the surface. However, um, some of the people in the chat room might be pointing out our, our more recently announced hole 26. Okay. And hole 26 was a hole that we drilled um, farthest to the north. It's the hole, the hole that we've been able to reach out as, as far to the north as possible on this. And we, we had the good fortune on the bottom of that hole to intercept 473 meters of 1.16% copper and 0.2 grams per ton gold. Nice. It's a breccia that's been healed by calcopyrite and bornite. And that style of mineralization is currently completely outside of the resource that we've reported, partly because it's a hole by itself, so there's no support around it. It's also a little deeper. We anticipate as we drill that out that some of that will be captured by the open pit, but those grades also open the possibility of um, underground mining if, if that's a, a more viable operation, either in combination with an open pit or, or by itself. So just quickly on your team, you've been together a while. You had a big success back 2010, 2011, was it? When, when was the... 2010, late 2010. 2010, I mean, it was, well, tell people it was, it was significant. Okay. Well, when we set up as a, as a company, really the company was founded by myself, Kevin Heather, who's our chief geologic officer, and Mark Wayne, who's our CFO. And uh, we were set up by some other gentlemen who were, were running companies and had the idea that copper prices might improve in South America. As we set up, we, we formed a company to, to do just what we did with Antares and what we think we're, we're all well on our pathway to doing with Regulus again, is identify, carefully identify a project that has that potential to be large enough and economically robust enough that a, a major company would like to acquire it from us. Um, that's based on decades of experience. Kevin and I have 
both lived and, and worked in South America for, for many decades more, probably than we care to admit on this. And we, we have access, we have language abilities, and we have familiarity with the ground. So we, we scour through our contacts and, and our knowledge of the area to identify these projects. Uh, they're hard to find, but once you find them, get on the right one, uh, drill it out with good support from some of our major shareholders, and then ideally sell that. So with Antares, we had the good fortune to discover the Hikira deposit, drilled that out over a number of years, completed a PEA on it. Um, we're just at the point of deciding to move it to pre-feasibility, and First Quantum made a move on us and, and elected to acquire the project. So a project that we paid $15 million to acquire in stage payments, we ended up selling for about $650 million at the end of 2010 to, to First Quantum. Right, okay, so it was a great result for all concerned. I guess that's why you've got the following you have today. Um, so just on that, you've got, you've, got a, you've got some cash, which will take you through to when? How long will that last? Uh, we're, uh, we have a little over $10 million in, in the account right now. We're projecting 25,000 meters of drilling in calendar year 20, 000, 2019 on this, as well as additional metallurgical work and acquisition of surface. So we will um, need to do some type of a financing before the end of 2019. It's not immediately urgent, and we have some very exciting targets we'd like to test before we get to that point. But we will seek alternatives to, to do an additional financing uh, sometime before the end of the year. And would you expect that from the current institutional shareholders you have, or are you going to go to the retail market? Well, it's kind of an interesting market for juniors like ourselves right now. It's increasingly difficult and uncommon to see more traditional private placements that we've all been accustomed to for, for quite some time on this. And almost all of the, the serious financing, the larger financings for, for groups like ourselves that have a good project, have really come with the benefit of a strategic partner. Uh, many times recently, those have been mining companies that come in and, and support it to take a 9.9 or a 19.9 position. We have the benefit of having Route 1, our major shareholder, is kind of being our cornerstone investor on that. So we'll explore various combinations on that where even though it's a, it's a difficult market, we, we have established large investors to support us as well as a, a number of new friends that are curious about watching how we move the project along and there are potential alliances that could emerge from those. Right, and, and I think it's a well, well known, well understood that the retail market is the thing which drives the share price and clearly the better the liquidity, the better the volume on the, on the retail, the cheaper the money is for you. Not necessarily you know, what, what your institutional partners want to hear, but that's you know, good for you and you know, should ultimately be good for them. So what are you doing to, to drive that understanding in the marketplace at the moment? Well, we, as we move through stages in the projects, when you're really early on and make those early discovery holes, you see increased volume on that. Now we have a lot of uh, shareholders who position themselves pretty well and are kind of happily to watch their position. So we need to develop an, an additional wave of shareholders to come in. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that through increased interviews and increased uh, marketing awareness to get the story out. Um, uh, quite frankly, I think one of the main drivers that'll be for this is that if we see the copper price really take off on this, where I think uh, general, I just came out of the Sesco meeting in, in Santiago and, and there, like many other places, there's a strong anticipation that there'll be a, a demand supply gap in the not too distant future and most likely a, a subsequent rise in copper. And I think everybody realizes that's on the way. It's driven by electrification of vehicles and a number of other increased uses of copper at the same time copper prices or copper production is declining. So I, I think everybody 
thinks it's happening, but everybody's a little bit nervous to jump in. And my experience on this is that when we see prices move on that, then uh, there'll be a sudden turn and we'll see more likely increased liquidity, increased interest in opportunities just like we have. Yeah, it'd be interesting, interesting to see how that turns out this year. I think as most commentators always say they're right, they just don't know when they're going to be right. So we, we shall see, we shall see. John, thank you very much for your time today. That was uh, very interesting. And um, thank you for sharing that with our viewers. Appreciate that. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.